0: Coming up on This Week in Tech, I'm Tom Merritt filling in for Leo Loport one last week before he comes back. We've got a great panel, Patrick Beja from France, Nate Langson from the UK, and Mark Millian from right here in the United States. We're going to be talking about the Apple rumors. We're going to be talking about the publishing problems and the publishing solutions from Google. And is there a dot-com bubble brewing again? All that and more coming up.
1: Netcasts you love
2: from people you trust.
1: This is TWIT. Audio bandwidth for this week in tech is provided by Winamp for Android, the ultimate media player for your desktop and Android device. Featuring wireless sync, download it free at winamp.com slash android. Video bandwidth for TWIT is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot
0: This is TWIT, This Week in Tech, episode 289, recorded February 20th, 2011. Ducks must wear pants. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIT. And by GoToMyPC. For those of us who work around the clock, access your files and applications around the clock, too, with GoToMyPC. For your free 30-day trial, visit gotomypc.com slash twit. And buy audible.com. Sign up for the Platinum Plan and get two free books. Go to audible.com twit2 and follow Audible on Twitter. User ID audible underscore com. It's time for This Week in Tech. I'm Tom Merritt filling in... For one last time, for Leo Laporte, who's been on vacation these past three weeks, he will be back next week on This Week in Tech. In fact, on the live uh, Twit feed, and if you follow the other podcast, he'll be back starting Tuesday uh, for shows like MacBreak Weekly and Nut at Night. Uh, But I'm very happy to be filling in one last time with a great panel of guests. Joining me from CNN, their tech reporter, Mark Millian, is back on the show. This is not the first time we've had you on Twit since you started at CNN, is it?
3: Uh, no, I've been on once before. Oh, wait, am I supposed to be doing the English accent since we're, we're switching?
0: Well, yes, uh, we should explain. We are going to have, have an accent swap later in the show. Patrick Beja from France, who does La Rendezvous Tech, as well as Phileas Club and several other podcasts is joining us. Uh, Hello. Be, th- be thinking about what accent you would like to, uh, pretend to have later in the show, Patrick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I'm gonna try and do the French one, probably, because I'm I'm really crap at You're doing the other ones. Really good at the French
0: accent, I've noticed. Um, <laughs> a man who's very good at the English accent, Nate Langson of Wired.co.uk, the editor of Wired.co.uk. Uh, welcome back to the show, Nate.
4: Thank you. Well, it's, my, it's actually my first time on this week in tech. So.
0: Oh right! No You've, I've heard. been. I've done so many shows with you. I didn't realize you I actually know. hadn't been on Twit. Welcome to Twit. Thank you. Yeah,
4: my uh, my my Twit virginity is no more. I'm Uh, very pleased. You'll never get it back.
2: So many bad jokes we could do with that line of... uh,
3: And why not? It's my last time filling in with Leo. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, You might as well just blow it to the water right now.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, As I've been doing the past couple of weeks, I want to start with a look at the week ahead. Not nearly as much going on this coming week uh, as as have been going on in the past few weeks, but a couple of things to note. Uh, This Thursday, February 24th, there is a ruling expected in the Julian Assange extradition hearings. This has been happening in your backyard,
4: Nate. Yeah, it has. And um, I, he, it, I think he's been under house arrest now for several weeks, which can't be, can't be any fun. Um, but is that I'm sure he's at some
0: posh, like, lord's house or something, isn't he?
4: Yeah, it's somewhere in the south, I think. I'm not entirely sure where. Um, but yeah, I think this is, I mean, whether or not this will be the end of everything is, is another matter. But, you know, the hearing is, will be the start of whatever's to come, I suppose.
0: Yeah, that well this is the uh, this is the ruling that's going to be handed down whether he gets extradited or not. I, d- I don't know if there's an appeals process after that uh or not. I assume there might be. Saturday the, there,
2: Oh, there is. No, I I was just going to say it. there probably is, but I've heard um a lot of people say that if he gets extradited to Sweden, then it's open season for extradition re- requests. To the u.s but i've heard on other people say that they could already ask uh, for extradition from the uk so i don't know why everyone is blowing this you know Uh, maybe possibly out of proportion but i
0: think i think what it is is i I think it's like sweden gets first dibs if i understand it correctly (laughs) in other words they could they america could try to extradite julian assange from the uk absolutely Uh, but i think maybe uh, because sweden has the sexual assault case that predates the wikileaks case uh... that they they get first crack at it and I, i've heard some people theorize that it's easier to extradite someone from sweden than it is from the united kingdom i don't know if that's actually true or not
3: maybe sadly the u.s. would have any trouble getting somebody from from england if they I really wanted to relations no. are pretty close yeah Yeah.
0: Uh, saturday february 26th. that's almost a week from this recording nintendo three ds hits japan it's not coming uh, to the u.s. until a little bit later in march uh... but it'll be the the first big release of the 3d gaming console i actually like it dude. Do you guys do you guys have an opinion on the 3ds i'm
2: um, excited to see what it looks like um, not sure i'm going to be purchasing one for myself but i'm sure going to check out the ones that my friends are going to buy
3: oh you haven't seen it yet i was playing with it at
2: e3 it's really cool i mean okay, i was posting I... mr cnn
3: <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not sold on 3D in, you know, pretty much any format. Like 3D movies, TV, all that stuff seems pretty stupid to me, but this is actually really cool. It works well. You don't have to worry about the glasses. I was actually really impressed by how well it
2: works. Um yeah, and then it we'll probably have this in
3: phones well. soon enough too, so uh,
2: it probably works best on a on a portable device because it's oh, you know, yeah, sure. much better than a, a TV or even in the cinemas because you're the only one looking at it and it's really a one-to-one experience so I, I wouldn't you know um consider it a off the uh idea to be a bad thing to begin with even if you're not sold on the 3D experience in general in other uh devices
0: yeah, I think you're right, Patrick. It's, it's sort of the expectations are set to the right level for lenticular 3D to work in the Nintendo situation. What's, what's interesting to me is the reaction to the LG Optimus 3D phone was very below par. It was very uh, negative, might be too strong, but people didn't really love it. And I think it's because in a phone, you're wondering, well, what do I need this for? And, and 3D movies in Lenticular actually don't work all that well. Uh, 3D videos, home videos in 3D, I guess that's sort of interesting. Whereas 3DS, stuff that looks really good in 3D is often cartoonish. Video games are perfect for that. And it's the right size of a screen. And like you say, it's one-to-one. So I, I do think that's one of the advantages 3DS has.
3: It seems like LG was, was kind of pushing gaming. I mean, those demo units in Barcelona mm-hmm. um, had, had demo games on them. They only had three of them. And I think people are kind of just doubting, like, okay, well, if you're put, pushing this as a game system, is LG really the company that can draw developers who are going to make 3D games specifically for the Optimus?
0: Yeah, and nobody get, doubts that Nintendo will be pushing out plenty of games that'll be worthwhile. Right. Sunday, a week from today, February 27th, uh, probably the m- most minor of our week ahead announcements. New, new WiMAX MiFi comes to Sprint. I'm excited about this because I'm a big fan of the MiFi. I think it works great. The times that it doesn't work is when 3G service doesn't work that well or isn't enough for what you need it to do. Uh, so a WiMAX MiFi is, is excellent. There is also a MiFi coming down the pike from LT- for, for LTE. But, of course, you guys in the U.K. and, and France, you, you've... You've got, like, bandwidth coming out of your ears, right?
4: Not mobile, though. Not mobile. We, we still don't really have 4G in the UK. We're still on 3.5G. No one's really rolling out anything. You guys with Sprint and things like that are actually way ahead of what we've got, uh, at least in the UK. I'm not sure about France, but...
2: Um, we don't really have 4G at all. I mean, I think the, the uh, providers have been falling behind a little bit on that, but the 3G networks are are pretty strong already. So uh, I don't think, and no one really uses the, uh, you know, MiFi type devices. They do exist, but they're not in a huge success. Uh, I think the 3G coverage is enough to begin with. And, you know, uh, th- that's, that's, it's going to be a while before the, WiMAX and 4G things arrive here, and we don't really feel like we need them right now.
0: Vodafone has 50 megabit per second LTE in Germany.
2: Well, I'd love to have that too, but eh, <laughs> Moved, we're good for now. Move to Germany. <laughs> oh, it's also, you know, the WiMAX the and LTE and 4G and which one is what, and I'd rather let all of you guys sort of, you know, test it out, and once it's settled down, we can bring it in and, and get everything covered in a year. Um, you know, it's it's going to be easier that way, probably.
0: All right, let's get into uh, the news of the week. Uh, One of the big stories this past week was the idea that Apple might be facing antitrust over its announcement earlier in the week of its subscription program for apps. Uh, Now, let me explain what the subscription program was, and then we'll talk about why people are are so upset about it. Uh, Essentially, they said, all we require... Is that if you offer a subscription outside, that you offer the same subscription inside the app. Because if Apple brings the customer to you, Apple gets their 30% cut. If you bring the customer to the app from outside, you get to keep all your money. And that seems reasonable, doesn't it?
3: To that, I say that if I recommend one of my family members buy a Mac computer, then Apple gives me 30% of that sale.
0: Is that fair? I think that's perfectly fair, Mark. All right, done. I'm in. (laughs) Yeah, so I I think what's really causing the issue here is not that Apple takes 30% from a subscriber within the app. I I think most people are probably okay with that. What What it is is that they are putting restrictions on what you can do outside the app. So if you offer subscriptions for your app you have to use the in-app subscription model you don't have a choice and you have to offer it at the same or less price of any subscription you offer outside those are the two points that people are starting to to chafe at and say well wait a minute it's one thing to say i can use your in-app subscription and i have to give you a cut that's fine but what if i don't want to do that and then apple says well then you can't have the app in the store or well, what if i is, is...
4: yeah go ahead sorry well the, the problem is is that apple won't let you sell your subscription in the store for any more than it costs outside of the store so theoretically you could say as a publisher we want to just sell it for 30 percent more in the app store so at least when apple takes its 30 percent cut you still get the same amount but the problem is is that you have to sell it for the same or less which means that you sell it in the app store for the same price you sell it outside but you then lose an additional 30 percent and i think that at least in the UK or in Europe, that's before tax. So if you're then taxed on top of that 20% VAT in the UK, potentially you're losing 50% of the subscription of your revenue that you wouldn't lose if you were just selling outside of the app.
0: Amazon was doing this uh, for their newspapers. They were, allow- they were uh, taking 70% uh, of the subscriptions and then they changed it to meet Apple's 30%, but there were never any restrictions on what other kinds of digital
2: subscriptions you could sell elsewhere. Certainly, it seems that, like, Apple is doing things a little bit, you know, they're doing it squarely, like, do it like this and that's it. Uh, But I also think that a lot of people are looking at this. uh, First of all, we should separate that they they want to apply this to all subscriptions on the App Store. And I think with the, the magazines and newspapers, it might be justified because basically they are bringing your product to the um, consumers in the same way that you would do it, for example, in France, we have newsstands and stuff like that. So they take all of the uh, distribution uh, efforts on their end, kind of. For other uh, media like um, DVDs and what Netflix is doing, for example, it's a little bit more objectionable because Netflix is already distributing content from other people. So they're sort of between two difficult positions, you know, the content providers and the distribution channel of Apple. So that's two things that you should probably uh, differentiate. But on the news, news, uh, newspaper and magazines, um, the thing is a lot of these uh, companies are saying, you're taking 30% of our existing subscri- subscriber base, which I can see why they would uh, understand it like this, but I'm certain that everyone is forgetting that A lot of people are probably going to be brought to subscribing to these newspapers because it's so simple and they already have the Apple account. It's going to be a one-click thing. You know, a lot of people, I believe, are going to actually become subscribers because of Apple's system. And does that, you know, is it 30% that they would deserve for this, 20%, 40%? I don't know, but they certainly deserve something. You know, and and it seems with the whole conversation, the way it's going, a lot of people are saying Apple doesn't really have anything to say about this, which I think is a little harsh.
0: The U.S. Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission are apparently looking into the subscription plan, according to sources who were speaking to The Wall Street Journal this week. That doesn't mean they're going to do an investigation. In fact, with this much rhetoric out there about this platform, it would be surprising if they didn't look into it and see if there's any antitrust situation there. But I, I, I've had a few arguments with people about this. I don't think it's an antitrust situation because there is competition. You can go and publish your apps on, on Android and Android has got a growing market share. But if you look at ta- the tablet space alone, tablets are 80% Apple. So they, may have a, they might have a temporary monopoly. A, and a monopoly for the next,
3: what, like two months? It, yeah, you exactly. Know, this year, you're going to be able to go to HP or RIM or Google, uh, and antitrust is like out the window. Um, a, a lot of these reports, like as you mentioned, Tom, are coming from the Wall Street Journal, which has um, an obvious vested interest in this, considering that they are locked into a subscription uh, model. And they advertise their iPad app on bus stops. So um, they, they don't want to have to pay 30% to Apple in order to continue uh, the business that they've set out already. But antitrust is is sort of a ridiculous claim that you can, you can just go to any other tablet maker that's going to be coming out in the next few months. And,
4: you know, Apple is just another one of those. But I think the problem here as well is that the subscriptions isn't just affecting tablets this is affecting any kind of subscription be it you know music and, and things like that as well and that isn't limiting it to tablets it can be for for you know any ios device basically and i think that when you look at all app stores that can be used um, on any platform. Apple, at least in the Europe I know, is about, I think it's about 45% that was a recent estimation of how much of the App Store market share Apple has within Europe which doesn't meet the kind of baseline 50 percent uh, threshold that the European Commission would need in order to consider it a uh, be in a dominant position there's so much other competition as well but I think the real problem as well here is that while there are other app stores there is only one app store that you can use on an iPad or on an iPhone or an iPod touch you know so if you want to be on any of those millions of devices you have to use the app store there is no competition there well
0: that's not and that's, exa- that's not absolutely true you could make an HTML5 site that would be available
4: through Safari Yeah, but it's not not an app in the same way. You know, it doesn't offer exactly the same functionality. Um, It's it's when you're looking at app stores with this kind of, you know, um, centralized hosting hub, um, you know, centrally hosted.
2: I would like someone to explain to me how what Apple is doing is different from what Sony or Nintendo or Microsoft is doing with their consoles. It's always the same story. They're at least as restrictive, if not more, With these systems, I think I think I I can
0: explain what's different here. Is if Xbox required you to sell any game inside the Xbox Store for exactly the same price outside of the Xbox Store, you would see game companies chafing at that. So if, if they want to provide a downloadable version on Microsoft, they would have to charge exactly the same amount for a downloadable version on Steam, on the PS3, and they want to be able to differentiate prices based on different markets. I think that's where Apple is causing the problem is by saying we have to have the same price. If they were saying if you're, if you're in our app and you're selling subscriptions, you have to use our in-app subscription service, I don't think anybody would have a problem with it, even with the 30% cut. It's the, it's the idea that... You can't link out. We didn't even mention that. You can't link out to your own subscription service. You have to keep them in the app subscription model. And you can't offer a cheaper version if you go direct. So something like Netflix, which is rumored to be in a, getting an exemption from this policy, I don't know if that's true or not, but something like Netflix couldn't link out to their website from their app. They would have to sell subscriptions to Netflix through the app when you're in the app.
2: Yeah, that's that's definitely, Netflix is definitely a, a, another can of worms, you know, because it brings in every single media, um, you know, distribution service, which is sort of different. But um, I don't know. I think in the end, a lot of people are going to be making a lot of money off of this because the system, you know, the app store does work. People do go there and they do spend a lot of money that they wouldn't have spent anywhere, you know, otherwise. Tell me about so, it. So, um, yeah.
0: I just did my so, taxes. Uh,
2: it's
4: it's pretty <laughs> standard to, to you know to, to pay a finder's fee for for you know these sort of services. So, uh, do you think it would work if Apple basically if you're selling your subscription in the store for the same price that you sell it out of the store? What if you then paid Apple thirty percent on top of that as effectively a finder's fee? That would mean that to App Store customers, you're charging people the same as a print subscription or a. Whatever subscription we're talking about, but Apple still gets its thirty uh, percent cut, even though you're paying it, and you're ve- effectively then just paying Apple for the custom.
2: How is it different?
4: Uh, it's different because, um, well, I guess it's not different. <laughs>
0: <So> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna so say. I, I think I was <laughs> yeah. missing something there.
4: Yeah, because you just <laughs> so, end up yeah, I'm missing something as well.
0: Yeah, it's just it's uh, uh, there might be some sort of accounting magic in there what you're talking about, but. It... It it sounds like you just end up paying them their amount. Now, Google uh, came out with their subscription plan the day after Apple's. Uh, Eric Schmidt presented the OnePass system at a uh, Berlin announcement. Publishers set their own prices and terms for their digital content. Uh, They can maintain direct relationships with their customers, so you don't have to go through the Google subscription system. With Apple, all of the customer information remains with Apple. Uh, Which is, is a
2: huge deal, too. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a goldmine of information. Existing print subscribers can get free access if they want and single sign-on across all platforms. So whoever's using this Google OnePass system, uh, you can sign in with your Google ID, whether you're on the web or on an app or wherever you are.
3: The timing of this launch was great because, you know, immediately after this, I had an interview scheduled with the Sony network exec, and I asked him, what do you think of this new Apple strategy? Does that affect curiosity, or it obviously affects the Sony e-reader? And he's, his quote was, it doesn't seem like a win-win formula. It seems like a great opportunity for the Android marketplace. And for Google to come out with this, you know, the very next day after Apple uh, creates this huge dust-up, is, you know, kudos to them. It's good timing. And um, I think we'll probably continue to see Google pick up the pieces um, in circumstances where uh, Apple creates these types of problems. So,
0: Yeah, Google uh, is uh, only, take, only taking 10% of any subscriptions sold through there. So they're, they're effectively undercutting Apple and making it cheaper. That undermines the antitrust case, in, in my opinion, because you've got competition not only in platforms, but now also in subscription services. And, and, and theoretically, the OnePass system could be used on iOS if Apple no, would allow are, it.
3: The best is that line at the bottom of the sign-up page on Google's sign-up page. It says, it also offers payments in mobile apps in instances where the mobile OS terms permit transactions to take place outside of the app market. Right. Basically, <laughs> dig right at Apple. <laughs>
2: Um, you know, I really love Google. I mean, I, I live in uh, Gmail and uh, Google Docs, and I love the company and the services. But to be completely honest, I'm not certain that Android, Android is a great system. I'm not sure a lot of people are spending a lot of money on the Android market. Um, something about the way they do things is not as conducive to monetary transactions somehow. And it works on the iOS and not as much on the Android system. So maybe it's going to change with tablets. Maybe, you know, gingerbread is going to change everything. And maybe that Google One Pass is going to work out fantastically. I'm not certain it will. So I don't know. I'm not convinced,
0: I guess. Well, one thing Apple says they're always doing is making it easy for the customer. So having one login, good for the customer. Having Apple tightly control the information they share with third parties, good for the customer. Uh, what Google's trying to be doing here is good for the publisher. Can that end up being good for the customer by creating a, a cheaper and more expanded playing field uh, is the question. I mean, is, is OnePass the savior of, of Android? Somehow, crickets. No, that would be a no. <laughs>
3: it's a bit of a stretch. I, I think this dust up will probably go away pretty soon. Uh, with Apple, uh, I think you know the publishers will just either take it as it is or Apple will back down as it's done um in In past circumstances where they 've drawn scrutiny um, with the app store you know they they had that uh sort of targeting of adobe 's software for creating apps and then they backed down on that and uh they they took a stance against competing ad services like uh like google 's admob and they backed down on that so we 'll either see Apple you know make amends or publishers will just be like fine, we'll take a hit with our iPad app or we won't do an iPad app. And we'll also have an Android app and a, a uh, HP app and a BlackBerry app. So I, I yeah, don't think uh, OnePass will be a huge savior.
2: It certainly looks like Apple is trying to ask too much to go in with a lot in order to get, you know, maybe less, but more than they would have gotten if they went with a reasonable offer to begin with. I don't think this is the end of that, story.
0: No. And, and Mark, you make a really good point. They've, we've had this rhetoric before. Apple won't allow Flash and therefore, you know, everyone's going to move to Android because Android will have Flash. Apple is, you know, going to be hard on the developers and not allow them to compile code. So all the developers are going to move to Android. Apple <laughs> does know what they're doing. These, these things crop up and they end up never being nearly as bad as everyone thinks they are. And, and like you said, Apple often retra- retreats. I think they know that they can put this out here and figure out just how far they can get, and they retreat just enough to stop anything disastrous from happening. They're, they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot over this stuff. They're, they're maximizing their profit.
2: Twitter, which is probably good for Apple. Which is it's always good for Apple, yeah. Uh,
0: Twitter is also trying to figure out how to maximize its profit. In lots of different ways, we have a couple of stories here. one uh, where they released a youtube video it 's not really a secret video, but you have to get the direct link to it you can 't just find it by searching, uh, which recommends how to advertise on Twitter uh, to get the most out of your advertisements. but then at the same time they 're also starting to go after third party apps uh, who they 've had pretty much liberal relationships with the pat in the past when Twitter was small because the apps helped them build. Uh, now, Twitter uh, has b- briefly banned Uber, Twitter, and Twidroid for violating policies.
4: I hear they've they've literally just uh, lifted the restriction, like a matter of minutes ago. I saw a tweet pop up that it's been it's been lifted and they're, they're back in the stores or are about to be back in the stores but i think there were a number of issues with this um one of which was um that there was there were privacy concerns uh, surrounding direct messages over 140 characters in length which i assume means that um you could send these longer messages and they were under the guise of twitter but weren't subject to the same privacy uh guarantees or something and uh and I forget what the other one was. I'm trying to find the story here. Um, it was a. I think a, it was about a, how, how they handled ads. Uh, it was like a, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. The internet
3: yeah. ads wasn't it, referrals.
0: Yeah, they were yeah. changing the content of users' tweets in order to make more money because they could they could sell ads off of particular words.
2: And Uber Media, who's the company that owns Uber, Twitter, and Twitteroid, first of all, they changed the name to uh, of Uber Twitter to Uber Social, so there was a trademark uh, issue there also, but th- they reacted really, really fast, and of course, you know, they make their whole business on Twitter, so, so they have to be in good standing with them. But I'm wondering if it's not just one of those things where Twitter was actually um, had the, the, the right... The right to do it, I guess. You know, it was a, a, a valid, a valid concern that they had, and Uber Social just did it, corrected the issue straight away, and we sort of all started talking about it, about it because it's it sounds, it looks like one other instance of instance of a Twitter sort of you know messing with the company that that made them great when it's actually not that. It's really an issue of API and trademark and uh, security concerns. I don't know if if we're not making a bigger deal of it than it actually is.
0: Yeah, Twitter said that they suspend hundreds of apps on a daily basis, but they wanted to call these out because they had such high user volumes. They actually didn't want people to be confused when the app stopped working briefly. But you don't think they could have figured this out behind the scenes without causing such a stir? Probably,
3: yeah. You have to believe that. Well, you know, I saw I saw an interview with that Uber Twitter CEO who said this totally caught him off guard. So um, you can't be totally sure that they didn't go to them um, first. But it seems like you know the the proper business ethics would be to go to the company and say, Hey, can you change your name and can you take out these ads? Uh, but who knows what happened behind the scenes there?
0: I guess if this is the policy they have for smaller apps, then it's got to be the policy for the bigger apps. They, they're just trying to be equanimous, something like that, something equal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is equanimian. That's a very uh, well-known ancient uh, Latin word.
0: Ah, ferate. Uh, the, and then in this, in this other story about the video uh, telling you how to do your advertisements on Twitter, uh, the thing that caught my eye was promoted tweets will be getting a big push in the next month or so as they add promoted tweets to users' timelines instead of just having them up in search. Right now, if you search on a promoted tweets keyword, that promoted tweet will show up at the top of the search results and it will say sponsored. Uh, if you're actually uh, in your timeline, you never see these. But apparently this is going to change. Are we, gonna, Nate, is this a good thing? We're going to see uh, advertisements in the timeline.
4: Well, I remember, I, I forget which application it was that I was using. I think it might have been uh, the old Twitter app, the one that had a pro version. And if you had the free version, then you got ads appearing in your stream. And I know a few of them have been doing that. And it really, really distracts me. I hated it. I really hated it. It would have encouraged me to buy a pro version, if there weren't other free versions available. But I think what's interesting here is that in this video, at the end of the presentation, um, the, the the voiceover was saying, effectively, "Don't be surprised if people are really angry. Um, you know, <laughs> people are averse to change, especially when it comes to advertising, and this type of feedback is to be expected. You know, basically, don't worry, people will yell, but ignore it. It's a small percentage. Um, but I think there will be a number of people that that you know uh, will." will be taken by surprise by these perhaps um but we'll we will see
0: i i remember when pounce do you remember pounce
4: yeah i remember yeah. when they put David roses thing
0: yeah when they put and they're not around anymore so maybe they're not the best example but <laughs> they put uh sponsored posts in the timeline and i thought they did a really good job of it where you could tell it was an advertisement and so you could scan right past it if you needed to uh yet they were relevant to what you were talking about they never really stood out to me as being annoying I think Twitter is good at this they're very sensitive to this and if they do end up putting promoted tweets within the timeline it's gonna be done in a way to minimize the impact
4: Yeah, and yes can see these 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 apps are going to be successful if they are relevant you know and twitter has a huge grasp i think or or could have a huge grasp on what is going to be a relevant tweet to someone there are so many services out there that will look at your last you know four or five days of tweets and work out what topics you're most tweeting about and i think that you know if i'm only seeing tech and music tweets, uh, you know, promoted tweets showing up in my timeline, I'm not going to be that bothered. Maybe they'll be of interest. I mean, look how they do it on Gmail. They're very, very relevant ads, but most of the time they're invisible because they just sit there unobtrusively on the side. And, as, you know, I think that if I'm getting tech ads popping up, you know, for a new tech service that I might be interested in because I've been tweeting so much about technology, that's not going to be as disruptive to me as if I get adverts for Justin Bieber 3D movies, which would make me leave Twitter. So, <laughs> You know, it's all going to be down to relevancy. So you just want how... Justin
0: Bieber 2D movies?
4: <laughs> I just want him to be put into a cage and thrown out of the country uh, of, the, of the Earth. But that's a story of the story Extradited. <laughs> yeah, let's extradite him to the moon. He can be the first man on, the, on Mars and tell if he can survive. But you know what I mean? I think that
0: he's, he's going nice to be a nice kid. Wow, that's so mean.
2: He's, he's a <laughs> child. You guys are being really mean. Uh, i went to six
3: flags in la um probably about a year ago and i guess it was justin bieber day he was there (laughs) and i was waiting like to get on the dragon roller coaster and they shut the whole thing down there's like two sides to get on they're just like oh justin's justin bieber's here we gotta shut the whole thing down and (laughs) and i was just so pissed there were like little kids around me that like For the first half hour, we're like, oh, my God, Justin Bieber's here. Where is he? And then the second half hour after he rides and then quickly exits the park, they're like, I hate you, Bieber. You made me wait to get on my coaster. (laughs)
4: Lesson (laughs) being, don't make people wait to ride rides.
0: Nate, are you you just mad at Bieber's hair?
4: No, I knew that would come up. Every time I'm on a on a, on a podcast, someone says that Bieber has my hair. Or
0: I just had to address hair. it. I don't. I, I don't it agree with that.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I'm coming for you. I had I'm it not first. Not really.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, really interesting articles and in paid content, and uh, the MIT Technology Review about whether there is a dot com bubble again would this be bubble 2.0 I don't know probably something like that I want to talk about that in a second first let's thank our uh, sponsor Squarespace the fast and easy way to publish a high quality website or blog I use it for forecast I use it for sword and laser Uh, if you want to have a good-looking blog that is easy to update and easy to design that you don't have to worry about whether the resources are going to be there to serve it. If you suddenly get a spike in traffic, you want to try out Squarespace.com. Uh, it is really the easiest way to put together a good-looking website, especially if you don't know anything about design like I do. They have templates in there. They've got hundreds of templates that you can pull in, tweak to your heart's content, change the colors, move a few things around, boom, you have a well-designed-looking blog. Uh, and if you are an expert, if you know how to tweak CSS and really make stuff look good, if you've got an eye for that, you can do that too. It's the best of both worlds. Uh, and you can share Try it out absolutely free for 14 days by going to squarespace.com slash twit. Now, one of the coolest things about this, they have all kinds of modules like a Flickr module, a Twitter widget, those sorts of things to, you know, bring in the social element, bring in other elements like Google Maps. Uh, But one of the coolest modules is the import module. So if you want to try it out for free, I suggest, especially if you have a blog already, you take your WordPress, your blogger, your movable type, your typepad blog, and you import it into Squarespace and mess around with it, see what it looks like you like the way it looks, you keep the service. If you don't, you can export your data right back out. Uh, it's, it's, it's really no risk to try it out. So why not give it a try? Sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card or anything like that. Just go to squarespace.com slash twit and try out for 14 days for free. We thank Squarespace for their support. Okay, the second dot-com bubble may be underway. Dominic Rush uh, of The Observer has a, uh, has a pretty interesting article up on paid content today uh, pointing out some of the different people who are looking about this and talking about this. Alan Patrick, co-founder of BroadSight, a consultancy group for technology, uh, says we are at the beginning of another bubble. A bubble is defined by too much money chasing assets, greater production of those assets than is needed to find a greater fool to buy them. And uh, he's got 10 telltale signs that a bubble is being blown up. So let me know what, what do you think? Tell me if you think uh, we are seeing these signs. One is the arrival of a new thing that cannot be valued in the old way. Dumb money companies start paying over the odds for new thing acquisitions. Facebook, mm-hmm. Twitter. Facebook's value is somewhere uh, between Ford's and Visa's right now.
3: But, well, well, Facebook is one of the most valuable company out there.
0: It's not the most, but, you know, these are, these are established companies.
2: With Ford, you can't say Facebook is not an established company. I mean, in, in all these companies that we're seeing inflated, supposedly inflated, I, I don't know anything about stocks, so don't blame me if you do something silly. But... Um, of all these companies, certainly Facebook has the most potential. I mean, it's a gigantic opportunity that, may, that maybe people are going to invest, and in the end, it's going, to, it's going to crash somehow. But Facebook, you can't say it's not a legitimate investment, a, a legitimate bet that you can make on the future. It's an enormous opportunity. The other ones, not so sure about. But uh, Facebook has value, that's for sure.
3: Facebook says it's been profitable since 2009, so it's obviously not, you know, a junk business. But um, I think the worry uh, once or if they even go public is um, how overvalued this stock will be during the IPO. I mean, you can already look on the second market and see, you know, astronomical valuations for Facebook. And we, we don't really know anything about their financials, so it's hard to say if it's warranted.
0: The uh, technology review article on, that is similar to this uh, by Christopher Mims points out that one of the problems with this is, is the expansion of the freemium model. And they, This article calls it a rounding error, that right now we just don't have a way to charge for very small amounts, so companies are forced to round down to free, but there is only a certain amount of ad dollars out there. So we have too many companies chasing ad dollars, and nobody can make enough money off that because there, there isn't any money circulating around. Companies don't advertise on each other. Uh, th- there's, there's a limit to the pool. Unlike if you, if you create a physical product, then you've got a supply chain, and and money starts to circulate in its own microeconomy.
2: Hmm. It's, I, I, I think there is a difference. You know, it's hard to quantify or or detail exactly, but I do think there is a difference between the original dot com bubble and this one, and this inflation maybe of the value because in the original one, it really seemed like an enormous gold rush uh, where, you know, people thought there was going to be gold, but in the end it was not really exactly what they thought it would be. And they were a little bit early to the party. Um, I think it was Mark Cuban who was saying something about this saying it's not, uh, what was he saying? It's not a bubble. It's a pyramid scheme. Yeah. It's it's a bunch of VCs. betting that it's you know other VCs are going to be valuing the company that they've invested in and they'll be able to cash fire. out
0: their investment with the other VCs before it all yeah. goes
2: broke it it doesn't seem like you know everyone is going completely nuts it's you know maybe 5 to 10 companies that are getting a huge value. It's not like everyone in, is, is buying a dot com, you know, domain name for 15 million. It, it's a few things that seem like they do have value. Maybe they're being over, you know, valued, but they, there is still something there. It feels different from the, the original dot com boom.
3: It's, it's way more than a, a few things. I mean, you, you look at the uh, the portfolios of some of these VC firms. They just invest, you know, insane millions of dollars in these absolutely no-name companies. They made investments like five years ago in companies you still haven't heard of. But I agree with you that I think the big difference is going to be um, the difference between the last dot-com uh, bubble and if this one bursts, is that this time it's going to be a lot of rich VCs losing their money rather than you know the average person who decided to invest in uh, Pets.com.
0: Right. So do you think it would have less of a wide-reaching reaction than the dot-com? You know, I mean, bubble? We're, not,
3: we're not seeing nearly as many IPOs as we saw in the late 90s. I mean, Pan, Pandora is the big one, and we're going to have LinkedIn. And, you know, that, that's, that's only two of, out of, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Groupon and all of these giant companies that uh, I'm sure, you know, people buying into the hype would love to invest into. But, um, you know, the VCs have a stranglehold on all of the uh,
2: hot companies. And it also feels like all of this is, co- is concentrated around maybe Facebook and Groupon, which are getting insanely, you know, getting a valuation that grows by the day. But, and and it, it feels like, maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of people are seeing this and are thinking, okay, I can't get in on Facebook. I need something else. Let's try buying something. So when Facebook finally does go uh, public, 2012 probably, then everything is sort of going to settle down a little bit. I don't know. It doesn't seem as crazy as it was.
0: Yeah, I think maybe Facebook and Twitter are the wrong ones to look at. Because even if they are overvalued, they are still valuable companies. They're very popular. They mm. have business models. You can, you can pick at them, but they, they do have business models. The ones that Mark is talking about are the concern where people are like, oh, well, that person used to work at Groupon or used to work at Facebook. And now they have this idea and they come in with a PowerPoint presentation and that's all they've got. <laughs> and they get, you know, a couple of several million dollars to go start something up with no idea whether this is going to actually take off or not. And, and the question is, I, I think we are seeing a bubble. I think we absolutely are. When you start to have people saying, are we seeing a bubble? And you have a bunch of experts saying, no, we're not seeing a bubble. You've got a bubble. The, oh, I mean, we've, on, we've, we saw that in the dot-com. True. We saw that in the housing market. We're seeing it now with social networks. The question is, how big and how serious? And I, right. think, I think that's where it may differ in that, you know, what you brought up, Mark, is, is, is exactly right. It may only have a limited impact And it may burst faster
2: than you thought. And the thing is, everyone is saying, are we getting a second dot-com bubble? And that is in itself, it implies something comparing it to the dot-com bubble that is sort of a a deception in itself. You know, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get at, I guess. I think
3: the business models sound the same. Everybody chasing ad dollars that aren't don't quite exist out there. I mean, granted, ad you know advertising on the web has has grown immensely from what it was ten years ago. But uh, it seems everybody's business model is you know we're just gonna go for uh, go for scale, as they say, and get a ton of users, and then we'll throw ads on and we'll find something to do.
0: Yeah, I think that's where this Technology Review article is is really interesting. It's, it points out. Advertising spending may go up, but the pool of money remains fixed. Unlike, say, Henry Ford, Larry and Sergey, and here I'm quoting, aren't actually building anything that can be monetized beyond the attention economy. Paying their workers more won't give them more time to look at more ads. And even if it did, it would just dilute the value of each of those ads, as has already been happening as the pool of online ads continues to grow. So you've got a different dynamic In that situation. Now, they they, this argument goes on to argue that micropayments are the things that will become meaningful and that will help us monetize the attention economy directly rather than relying on ads. I'm not sure if that'll ever happen.
1: Yeah.
4: Well, Facebook's experimenting with the, um, the Facebook credits, which I think is really interesting because they get to keep a 30% cut of transactions made with Facebook credits. And when you think about, you know, five, 600 million people using Facebook, you know, even if only a very small number of those are using these Facebook credits, it's a non-advertising-based revenue stream that they're getting for basically not doing anything you know they've they've got all these people that job's done all they do is let people build things on their platform and they take a 30 percent cut of these credits that are being that are going through their system and you know when you've got that many people using things like farmville and you know all these all these daft games then um you know that could become quite a quite a profitable part of their business i mean it's still very limited at the moment of course but Um, I saw the first Facebook credits card actually in a a game shop just yesterday you know actually hanging on a shelf Facebook credits 10 20 pounds and you know that was the first time that I've really ever seen something like that you know in in the real world um, on the scale of Facebook
2: which is why i was saying facebook is a special case in all of these you know companies we're talking about facebook is really the one that could generate something really you know it it, it's the one where the value could be could come from somewhere else i don't think what you're saying which is true applies to all the other ones which is a concern
0: all right let's uh take a quick break before uh we get to apple rumor time those of you who don't like apple rumors i've consolidated them all into one Easily fast forwardable segment. We'll get to that. Oh, good. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but first of all, Leo is here, sort of,
1: uh, to tell you about GoToMyPC. Thank you for letting me interrupt this fine conversation. I'm going to be back next week, but uh, I'm still away. I, uh, I'm having, I'm sure, a good time on the cruise. But before I left, I thought I'd leave you this message. If you're seeing this now, I am dead. But I would like to bequeath to you, Tom Merritt, the entire... No. (laughs) I do want to do that, though. I got the idea from Demon, right? (laughs) If you are watching this video, something horrible has happened. Now, if you're watching this video, it's because uh, the, the Twits are off having a smoke while we talk about go to my PC. See, as I travel all around, I use go to my PC because it lets me access my system at home and at work. I have it on several systems. I could do everything I could do uh, if I were sitting there, but I'm not. You know, someday we're going to have it so I could be on a cruise and I'll actually be here uh, doing this. Now that would be cool. Not enough bandwidth on the cruise to do that, but believe it or not, even with with a satellite, the marine satellite that they use, go to my PC works fine. It's kind of amazing. It's because the folks at Citrix are geniuses with remote access. They they practically invented the category, and they do all sorts of interesting, you know, screen vector. And stuff to, to really reduce the amount of bandwidth needed to give you an almost real time update. That means you can run any program, access any network resource, get anything done, send and receive email as if you're at work. Tom, if you get an email from me this evening at 5 in, five in the morning, and it, sent, it looks like it came from the cottage, you'll know I've been using Go to My PC. How often, you know, do you, you know, our jobs aren't 9 to 5. How often do you get an idea in the middle of the night and you'd love to go into work and work on something, but no, all you do is go to your computer at home and, uh, or your laptop, and there it is, just like you're there. Or clear that email out. If, when, you, when you take a three-day weekend, and you come back to 3,000 messages. Don't do that. Work whenever you're inspired or motivated. Work whenever you feel like it, not when you're sitting at the computer. Pardon me. <laughs> I was so happy I had to play the guitar. You're gonna love go to my PC if that's how you like to work. If you like to be creative at all hours of the day or night, go to mypc.com/slash/twit right now. It'll take you 30 seconds to install it. You can even do it while I'm talking. And uh, once you have it on the system, anywhere you go, anywhere you can get online, you can access your computer, send and receive your email, access any network resource, run any program, work when the mood strikes you, not when you're. Th- you know what they say? They say work isn't a place you go anymore. It's what you do. It's what you, you know, and one hopes it's what you love. You don't have to go to work anymore. You just use GoToMyPC. GoToMyPC.com slash twit. I think there's a pina colada waiting for me poolside, so I'm going to leave you guys now. Back to Tom Merritt in the twits. Tom, over to you. Thank you, sir. We miss you. Please come back.
0: Please.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he had this weird look like in his eye, of, of a temporary host. I did. Uh, I, I, I asked. I said, "You are too. coming
0: back, right?" And he had this weird look in his eye when he left. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't leave me with him. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be back. No problem. He's uh, he's Twitter. He's on Twitter talking about the Peru shakedown right now. Well, he's also also talking about the fact that we had to turn off the Twitch live stream on U- Roku uh, because it was costing us too much. It's a thousand dollars a week in bandwidth Ooh. cost. Uh, but yeah, he said uh, that his wife paid airport tax, but Leo hadn't. He had to pay thirty-one dollars to get to his airport gate. <laughs> I've never, I've never had to pay uh, an airport tax, but I've never been to Peru, so maybe that's just a thing there.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. Mexico does that too. Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: Now I have. Right, no, I'm Mexico. sorry, not Mexico. It was really um, the Dominican Republic. Oh, I haven't been there. Okay. Yeah, little airport tax. I have paid the, uh, the bridge tax. They're actually talking about turning on this is this is an interesting local story. They're talking about turning off the uh, the or, or getting rid of the toll takers on the Golden Gate Bridge and just replacing it making it entirely electronic. And if you uh, if you go through without the fast track transponder, they'll scan your license plate and then send you a bill.
2: What about tourists? They
0: will scan their license plates and send them a bill.
2: So To the car renting company. If
0: you're a tourist, yeah, and then the car rental company has to, has to either pay it or pass it along to, uh, to, the, to the person who rented the car.
2: Sounds horribly complicated.
0: I say <laughs> there's going to be a big business in little black shrouds for people to put over their license plates. <laughs> right as you get on the or, bridge.
2: Or... Batman car like devices that will make them spin when you go through the tool thing.
3: <laughs> I've heard they have those, like, camera scramblers. You can put, like, a film over your license oh, plate, right. and then yeah, if the camera yeah, tries to... Yeah. yeah, so th- those will probably uh, be a big business. It'll be the next big bubble.
0: There'll be, there'll be, there'll be people spend, <laughs> offering to spray the that on your plate license pole. plates right, right as you get onto the Golden Gate Bridge. All right, uh, Apple rumor time. Uh, we're we're going to put them all... I don't want to say ghetto-wise them all, but there were a lot of Apple rumors. There's always a lot of Apple rumors, but there are a lot of Apple rumors uh, this week. The the most credible one, the only one really worth talking about, in my opinion, is that we're going to see new Apple laptops. Because it's been long enough that it's about time to see a real refresh of the MacBook Pro line. Uh, Best Buy has been adding new Apple laptop SKUs to its system. Uh, all the, the supply leaks that you get out of Digitimes and other places like that are saying, yeah, it looks like uh, Sandy Bridge MacBook Pros coming down the pike. March 1st is one date that has been bandied around. But then uh, Sandy Bridge has had issues with, uh, with the chipset, the Cougar Point chipset, so that if you were using more than two SATA ports, you, you'd, have, you'd have problems. I don't know if MacBook Pro would be able to work around that or not.
2: Uh, I think they wouldn't use more than two anyway, so they should be fine.
0: Yeah, they probably would be able to be fine, but I'm dying. I'm dying for a new Mac. Maybe I just want this rumor to be true because uh, Martha Jones here, my MacBook Pro is uh, over two years old now,
2: and I don't. Did you name your MacBook Pro? I can name all my
4: computers.
0: You don't name um,
2: computer.
4: <laughs> do you- I think I've got the same model that you've got, Tom, because my my MacBook Bell Dandy is uh, about two years old as well. I mean, she's still running like a beast. She's great. I'm sorry. What was your
0: Uh, What was your MacBook's name?
4: Bell Dandy. Bell Dandy. Uh, It's a character from an anime called Oh My Goddess. I name all my um, tech products after anime characters, and um, you know this thing's still going really well. I mean, I've got a new hard drive in there. I've got four gigs of RAM instead of the two that it came with. but, you know, it's still running nicely, but I, I'm kind of excited about a new one because I need another reason to spend money that I don't need to spend. I'm about to spend it on a, one of those 600Ds from Canon, um, and after that, I'm going to need something else to waste money on, and a new MacBook Pro would be good. Because mine's still the MacBook. It doesn't have the Pro bit. It was just oh, before really? they, okay, yeah. Yeah, they changed them to Pro. Mine's so an actual mine's
0: MacBook still- Pro. It's a 15-inch MacBook
4: Pro. Oh, uh, yeah, mine was one of the, the MacBooks. But um, so I'm kind of excited about that. And I've, I've got friends in, um, in some of the retail stores that have said that their stock is drying up completely. And not just of the MacBook Pros, but of iPads as well. One of the, one of the stores, um, he was saying that they have about 10 iPads left in the entire store. Uh, And also that um, there's a rumor going around as well that Mobile Me is going to go free. And apparently, every day in the store they have a um, kind of a a keynote of how many Mobile Me's and everything that they have to sell that day as a target. And Mobile Me has now been struck off the target, so they no longer have a target for how many Mobile Me subscriptions to sell every day, Uh, which again supports the rumor that that it's about to go free, or at least that they're not bothering, they're not caring that it's. um, you know, that, uh, about who's paying for it anymore?
3: That's a good indication. Did you guys see yeah. that, uh, confessions of a Apple store employee over, uh, last week? Yeah, that, that, that was great.
2: funny and freaky at the same time. <laughs>
3: great story. But one of the tidbits from there is that, you know, mobile me is like they, they push all of their, uh, all of their sellers in the store to push mobile me just because it's such a wildly profitable product.
2: So well, what, he was, what he was saying was that he, he managed to push um, uh, Apple Care really easily mm-hmm. because it's a great yeah. product, but that no one was buying Mobile MobileMe. Uh, it was really difficult to sell.
3: Yeah, well, every, every sort of retailer has those key add-ons, like they'll sell warranties or some type of, like, yeah. trade-in membership or something. I worked at GameStop many years ago. It was awful. I don't want to talk about and it. I'm no, sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so Apple's add-ons are Apple Care, the warranty program, uh, and uh, MobileMe. Me. So thankfully, MobileMe Me will no longer be pushed on me at the register
2: there. Right. What what I was getting at was that uh, Mobile Me, if it's not you know making being really popular in the stores or anywhere, maybe it would make sense to for one of the many reasons that it would make sense for it to become free. Um, And this is also a super exciting rumor, which might be true because we've been hearing about that new data center forever, and it's sitting there ready and it's it's not being used for anything. So maybe that fabled locker in the sky where you can put all your music and everything um, will finally happen and MobileMe will will transform uh, in a way into a media uh, streaming service. That's a little bit pie in the
0: sky, though. Well, that's not as pie in the sky as a cult or nine to five max story that an Apple television is in the works, not just Apple oh. TV. This now, I remember Jason Calcanis predicted this maybe
4: two years ago. That yeah, Apple, Apple I wrote television. a story about it. Yeah, that was I, I wrote that for Cena, and this has just been going along for so long. And he was convinced; he was absolutely convinced that you know this was in the works and it was happening, and it never has. And it's always seemed like as long as Apple TV is a standalone product, then how could you convince someone to buy a dedicated Apple TV unless there was something in it that massively differentiated it from just a regular TV that would arguably cost less than one Apple made uh, with an Apple TV connected to. It. Um, but yeah, I mean, well,
0: nine-to-five Mac bases their story on a job posting. Uh, the position primarily involves high-density offline power supply development for Macintosh, notebook computers, desktop computers, servers, standalone displays
4: and TV. Yeah, and you know right. what? I just you know, think, I think that TV is, is Apple TV. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's so nonspecific. I think it is a huge extrapolation. If, you know, to assume that that means a TV set as opposed to a TV-based product, I mean, there's no mention in there of, you know, set-top box, you know, which I think would make sense if, uh, if that's what they're, what they're referring to Apple TV as. This is just TV. This could just as easily be an Apple TV, or you know, the streaming TV service rentals, that sort of thing, or AirPlay. Um, it has no suggestion for me that this means a, a physical TV product. No, I think, I
0: think it's,
2: right. you know, the, uh, it, it, if anyone farts the wrong way on the Apple campus, then someone is going to interpret it as being, you know, having. Well, there's a no wrong new way, product. Patrick. <laughs> I can assure you there is, um, but, but I, I, I'm, I think there might be an Apple TV in the works. Uh, you know, I'm sure they're experimenting with a lot of different kinds of products, but I can't see them actually coming out with a TV until they crack the formula for the Apple TV as a, you know, as a, an, a, an add-on unit thing to connect to your TV or at least there has to be something more than what they have now with the Apple TV because it's, not, it's just, you know, not selling that well. And it's, I can't mm. see a TV with just that service that would be that much of a value added for Apple to sell more than but any what other. What if it has a
3: retina display
0: with explosions? <laughs> <laughs> you mean magical Michael explosions? Now retina display.
2: And a micro bezel. As long as they're magical and, and revolutionary, then yeah, maybe.
0: Uh, I think a, a, a more, uh, we didn't get a whole lot of app, iPad rumors uh, this week, although we're pr- pretty sure that an iPad announcement is not too far off. Uh, but the other rumor that kicked around was the continuing rumor about an iPhone Nano Uh, New York Times said that Apple is considering a cheaper iPhone but not a smaller one so they've they've got their own sources contradicting Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal sources although I have to say the New York Times rumor sounds more credible to me which is the idea that maybe there's there was a rumor last week that the iPhone the next iPhone would be 4.3 inches maybe all it means is that they sell the current iPhone 4 at a cheaper price and it's the small iPhone because it's not 4.3 inches
4: yeah, I think that's quite likely. Like at the moment, you've got the 3GS that I know, I think in the US you can buy for about $99, is that right? I, I think, think it's, it's down to
0: $50 now at certain
4: places. $50. you know, that is, that is your entry level, you know, Apple products. If you, if you want to get into the iOS world, that's kind of what you should go for. Um, and I, I, I can't see them making a smaller one necessarily. I mean, I don't know. Sorry, someone it's, is uh, breaking into this office by the sounds of it, who knows? <laughs>
0: Let us know. Blink, blink twice blink. if you're okay.
4: I'm okay at the moment.
2: It was an ominous preak. T- turn the camera around. We want to make sure. <laughs> oh, we're okay. We're okay. All right. Everybody... everybody um, Nate's okay. Okay. Um, you know, with these rumors, I mean, especially now, we, it's just like uh, uh, we need... A, a keynote presentation because people are going insane I mean I'm convinced that even Apple is going throwing out some rumors you know uh, g- giving tips to shady journalists so that we are so confused with all the rumors anything could be true at this point I, if, if they announced that Apple is working on some kind of car I would you know it would be as believable as some of the ones we've been hearing it, we can't know anything about all this
3: well, yeah, and then that's the- an interesting thought that their new strategy would be to just throw as many rumors into the mill as possible because their old strategy. I was reading a, a profile on Nick DePlume the other day, the guy who ran things secret. So the old strategy was they would just sue these guys who were breaking all the rumors and send cease and desist notice. So when that didn't work that would be interesting if they would just like throw as much junk into the pile as possible to to overload everybody
0: down at like half, it is. in it's, an unmarked building at half infinite loop <laughs> <laughs> a small group works on manufacturing rumors
2: <laughs> well it's it's a, how many of these have we seen i mean it's a it's a small iphone with no bezel and then no it's a little bit bigger and then it's a small ipad and it's a big ipod and it how many of these do we have to hear before we're Completely confused. I know that I can't believe anything anymore.
0: Well, and then there's patent filings, which are always misleading because anybody can file a patent on on anything. It doesn't mean they're coming out with a product. There's an Apple patent for an iPod, iPad smart bezel. There's an Apple patent for longer life batteries. Uh, Those those patents are almost always worth ignoring because they rarely turn into a substantial feature in a product. And even when they do, it's, it's usually years down the line.
3: I agree. 100% it's like reading. I've, I, I say we put an end to patent reporting, marking the flag right now.
2: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's, it's, t- it's tech porn. It's like, you're reading it yeah. and you're like, Oh, that would be awesome. And it, it doesn't amount to anything. Still got to go to patent the Apple though.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to, for the video version. I'm waving my hands to indicate the end of the Apple rumors. Um, <laughs> on, on the audio version, you'll just have to blindly go. I, I some people write in. They're like, "Why are you apologizing? These are perfectly important." To you know, I like to hear about them all that. But there there are people who get really vociferously angry because there are so many Apple rumors. I, I, I kind of understand it. Still worth. I think thinking. I'm
3: more in that camp.
0: Yeah. You get you get yeah. ang- It just gets under your skin. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think they're ridiculous. All right, let's uh, let's <laughs> move. <sighs> yes, Patrick.
2: <laughs> no. Okay, I'm shutting up. Sorry. Do you have <laughs> another rumor to share, now? Patrick? No, I was just going to say that I also love Apple. I have an iPhone, an iPad, a MacBook. Uh, I love them. I'm getting sick of the rumors too. So. Yeah.
0: I think that I think that speaks for things speaks volumes right there. Google, Best Buy, Sony, Mitsubishi, Sage TV, NegraVision. What do all these companies have in common? They are now part of the Allvid Tech Company Alliance, asking the FCC here in the United States uh, to help move ahead with a proposal for the Allvid standard. And what that would be, tell me if this sounds familiar to you guys, a box that combines both your over-the-air your cable and your internet video in one interface and one connection that you can buy yourself without having to go through the cable company. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So make mm. that official and you've got the Google TV. Because the Google TV <laughs> actually does route your existing connection through the box and then adds in internet video. Thing is, it's not official, it's not compatible with that cable TV. So there's a little bit of wonkiness with how it works. Uh, but all of it is sort of what the FCC is moving towards in, uh, as a successor to, to the cable card standard. The cable card standard was meant to make it so that you wouldn't have to rent your box from the cable company. You would just go buy a box, like a TiVo, and, and buy whatever box you want, and there would be competition, and then you'd just put your cable card, and you'd be able to get uh, your cable television that way. Uh, that did not work out so well. So this is Why the not? next effort here.
3: You know, Google Why TV hasn't worked work out,
2: out so well either. Not yet. So know. we'll see where this goes. I was uh, wait, wait a second. Why did the cable uh, card did not work out in the first place?
0: Uh, there, are, there are myriad reasons. Uh, two of the biggest are the cable companies sort of dragged their heels in compliance. They say it was just technical issues, but the ability to get a cable card was hard in the early days. It's much easier now. Uh, the devices never appeared that, that utilized cable card. And probably one of the biggest reasons was even when you got cable card and put it in the device that you wanted, uh, it didn't have all the features. It didn't support things like video on demand, uh, pay-per-view, uh, certain other features that cable companies had added. So the cable companies have pushed true two-way as a new standard, but that isn't a card. That's something that has to be built into the device itself.
2: So is this going to be any different?
0: Well, this wouldn't be any different as far as being a card, but it would have Internet companies involved. So, and, th- and this is why the National Cable uh, Alliance, the NCTA, says we don't like this at all uh, because it actually puts Internet video competing right next to cable television on the same box.
3: Which is the same reason none of the cable companies or the networks like Google TV because you can just as easily surf to their websites before they block them and watch free programming on demand. Uh, I don't think this is going to... I think this has a long road and many obstacles ahead of
0: it. Well, yeah, the NCTA is going to fight tooth and nail to stop this from becoming a standard. And so even if they were to prevail... I mean, you got some firepower here with Sony and uh, TiVo and, and Google... Uh, But even if they were to prevail, by the time they were able to clear all the hurdles and fight all the battles, I think things are going to have moved on.
3: We'll be watching holograms by then.
0: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what's ridiculous about this to me is the consumers win, right, every time. Look at music. The consumers said, we don't want DRM on our music. We want to be able to do whatever we want. And the music companies for a decade... Tried to punish the people who were doing things right without ever really harming the pirates until they finally gave in, abandoned DRM. Did, DR, did abandoning DRM save the music industry? Arguably not. We haven't seen sales skyrocket, but it also didn't kill the music industry. We haven't seen a significant damage from piracy increase since they abandoned DRM. So the video industry is busy making all the same mistakes that the music industry made and backing into the future, trying to preserve this old model. Uh, and, and they're getting their lunch eaten. So they, they're battling things like this, which arguably they should just be trying to put their video out in as many places as possible and having people able to watch it and monetizing the eyeballs. It's easier said than done.
2: though. Amen. They should put you in charge. <laughs> you,
0: know, <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> Tom Merritt for president. I don't want to be in charge. I just want to watch my video. I, I just want to not have to hook up my gateway computer to my television to use Chrome to stream NBC.com because they blocked it on Google TV, which also Merit, uses Chrome. You don't,
2: you don't choose your calling. Your country needs you. <laughs> Step
0: up. <laughs> France needs me? Oh, your, not your country, my country.
2: Your, no, my country. Well, actually, we could probably do with Merit also. Would you mind coming help us oh, out married, when you're the done with the...
0: No, <laughs> I would mind. I like, I like being oh, over here, off the radar. Just,
2: just so you know. I know I, I, are you I, saying you don't like friends?
0: I'm off saying, the
3: radar on video <laughs> in front sorry. of thousands go, of people. Let's go
2: back to Cable Card.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but, you know, I mean, that's, it's, it's, just, it's just ridiculous. We are going to have the ability to stream every television show we want in full on the Internet. It's going to happen. It's all just the painful process of making it happen. So it's frustrating to watch this. I understand the difficulties. I understand why they can't just flip a switch and do it. But when you know that it's technologically possible and you know that it's going to happen, no ma- you know whether it's all just a matter of how long it takes to figure it all out. It gets frustrating to watch. That's all.
2: Did you see that uh, that video about, uh, uh, I think it was a PR agency or something, that uh, tried giving six different families uh, a different box, like yes. an Apple TV, a TiVo, and, and that, that was eye-opening, right? Because they, they, there is such a difference between having an actual cable box or TV where you can flip a switch and have something on and all of these, these different boxes where you have to actually... I'm not even talking about the complexity of installing it. Just having to choose your program is something that is really difficult for normal people. So I can understand how, you know, we can feel... Uh, just put everything on the internet and just, you know, let us watch it. And how these guys are saying, are, are saying it doesn't really work as well. But so. it, it could.
0: I mean, it could very easily, if I just took... My, uh, my linear channel and streamed it on the internet, it would, be the, it would overcome that, that obstacle because what they were yeah, saying correctly. is I don't want to have to think about what to watch at every given moment. I want to be able to just turn it on and, and kick back. And that's easily done. It's not like the internet yeah. prevents you from doing
2: that. No, no, you're, you're right. Again, tell me, get, get, it, get him in charge. <laughs>
0: now, somebody needs to be in charge of TiVo in the UK. And apparently it's Virgin. Uh, TiVo is going to remove their online guide you know they're over the the internet guide service from TiVo's on as of June 1st so any TiVo that you have will be essentially bricked after that point because if you don't have guide data then you can't schedule anything to record I mean I guess you can you can go and schedule it by time uh, but it becomes almost useless however uh, you can get a new TiVo from Virgin after that point, and they are going to give away a 1,000 free TiVos.
3: The background there being that TiVo recently signed one of the biggest partnership deals it's ever done with Virgin. Um, so now they're trying to make good on their promises, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not I'm Virgin's kind of best
4: friend of anyway, I, have, I have Virgin at home, and the reason that I'm here in the office at midnight is because I have no internet at home um but regardless um this is an interesting one because tivo um hasn't really been a big deal in the uk kind of ever Uh, i think it's kind of a a, you know a hangover from uh, several years ago before virgin even had cable they bought a cable company and it became virgin media and i think it was the cable company before that that introduced the tivo service um and at the moment I don't really know what TiVo gives you over their standard DVR, which I actually quite like. Um, I've never used a TiVo in my life because um, we've never really had it here ever. Um, what, what is it that, that this offers better than sort of a standard DVR?
3: So I interviewed uh, TiVo CEO at CES actually, and uh, I asked him the same thing, and he, he didn't, you know, he struggled to find an answer a little bit. But no, uh, their, their big. Um, positioning factors is that uh, design, they think they have a very well designed uh, interface. And the other being that they're actually pulling in internet content from a lot of different sources, whereas the um, uh, carrier issued boxes generally don't do that. So they're, okay, well, they're using the TiVo Premier's internet functions as like the differentiating factor that we have like all this other content as well.
4: Well, the Virgin's normal box at the moment, um, will give you access to all these on-demand services, you know, that you can, you can schedule them to record and you can record all entire series. But then you've got things like BBC iPlayer and, you know, all the networks here have their own on-demand services, which you can stream, um, you know, down onto the box. I don't quite understand what the big deal is about TiVo. I'd love someone to tell me what it is because it sounds like it's a big deal. Um, but i don't know well that's not the news here is it the news is that the old service is getting killed off and people are going to have to buy a new one
0: well it is Um, it is interesting to know like in a world where tivo is universally lauded as the prime example of what a dvr should be do they really have that much of an advantage anymore. It used to be that if you didn't have a TiVo, you had a really horrible interface uh, that was super buggy, either from your satellite system or your cable system or whatever you were viewing. These days, that gap has been closed. I mean, TiVo probably still is the best, but not nearly by as far as they used to be. So they have to tout their advantages like, well, you can subscribe to podcasts. Uh, on TiVo, and we have on-demand video, and we have special video that's delivered over the internet that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, and they have become more of a box for internet video. They've become sort of like Allvid, which is why they're part of that Allvid, uh consortium, in that they provide internet video alongside your television uh, content, which most of the other DVRs don't because they're from the cable companies and the satellite companies. Uh,
4: well, in that case, I guess that TiVo, if it if it's going to do something, needs to do. A lot more than what the, Vir- the current Virgin Plus HD box, whatever it's called, um, will do. Because the only thing, really, for me, that it's missing, and I don't watch that much live TV anyway, but the only thing that this is missing is is something like podcasts. And that's not necessarily, I think, you know, a big enough deal for the majority of people out there, sort of average consumers, to want to upgrade to. Um, Ouch! Take that, you know. twit. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Now, like if I was saying this to my mum. You know, I, I wouldn't yeah. sell her on a TiVo because she can podcast. It would sell it to me. Absolutely it would sell it to me. But, you know, to the average guy in the street, not necessarily. No, yeah, but the thing is they don't have to do that much more because if
3: I understand the agreement they made with Virgin correctly, it's that they, they, they replace Virgin's um, default box. So if you sign up for Virgin, you get a TiVo. So all they, you know, all they have to do is keep doing what they're doing and make sure it was better than the older model and uh people will get these boxes by default
0: but if are the replacing
4: re- it then that's fine
0: was there a reason to to brick everybody's old tivos though i just don't understand why why that would be necessary
4: well it's very much a legacy service and i guess if you want to you know upsell from you know a product that a few people are still using from a time when your company wasn't even the company it is now because you bought it um you know then getting rid of it and just upselling at a good deal is probably better for everyone i mean You know, there comes a point where we all switched off analog and there was people with analog TVs out there still, but we still switched them off because it's like, seriously. But it's not not like they're not
0: providing guide data anymore. They're
4: just going to block these devices from accessing it. And it's something you had to pay for. But it's another service that you have to support. You know, it's another service. You have to have people on tech support know what they're talking about in case Mm -hmm. grandma rings up and says, why has my TiVo that's made out of wood stopped working? You still need people to explain to them it's because it's an old box made out of wood. It's because
0: it's a radio, ma'am, not a TiVo.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, um, you know, I think there does come a point where you have to say enough's enough and just offer a good deal. And, you know, I honestly, I have never met a single person who has knowingly said, I have a TiVo. I have never seen one in the UK. I don't know anyone who has one. I don't think this is a massive deal.
0: All right. Well, there you go. It's not a massive deal. Let's move on. Last word from <laughs> Nate Langson. No, I, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, it just annoys me that they would have to go and turn off something. that Some people paid for lifetime service uh, for these things. And I, I don't know how true that is in the UK. Maybe it's not. But, but you could in the US. You could pay for lifetime service. And it's not lifetime service if they end up turning it off.
2: And they, and maybe they re- they're the ones getting the free TiVos. They reserve the right to do that, I guess.
0: No, yeah. the free TiVos, it was, what's funny is they're not even given out randomly. They're given out to people who deserve them. Uh, maybe you're right. Maybe that's how you deserve it. You sign up <laughs> for lifetime service.
2: By paying for it.
0: <laughs> All right, let's take a uh, quick final break. Thank our last sponsor, audible.com. Uh, you've, you've heard us talk about Audible on Twitter before. It's, it's the best way to get audiobooks. From the internet, uh, listening to audiobooks is a great way to increase the number of books you can read, whether it 's fiction or nonfiction. They also have magazines and newspapers in there as well. Uh, it makes it so much more convenient. I had to I had to drive all the way down to Mountain View, uh, which is like an hour and a half away from my house uh, on friday and then it took two hours to come back because of the rain, and I was able to do it sanely because I had an audiobook to listen to on the way up. Uh, Audible provides. Over 85,000 uh, audiobooks, um, mo- almost every bestseller that you can think of. And we here on This Week in Tech can give you two free audiobooks if you're still skeptical, if you'd like to try it. A uh, great deal for people who enjoy listening to audio programming. You can get The Wall Street Journal. You can get The New York Times. Uh, that's all part of the Audible t- Platinum Program. We're going to let you try that for free. Two free audiobooks by going to audible.com slash twit2. So get a look at it uh, right now and I you know two two books there's it's hard to choose sometimes uh, right now I'm listening to the shadow of the torture by uh, Gene Wolfe it's a uh, it's our fantasy pick for sword and laser right now Do, do any of you guys have a, uh, have a have a pick there's a couple of other um, good ones here
4: I've I've been uh, the last one that i had from audible was uh one of the red dwarf audiobooks so for ages they had the first one that's like the first series of red dwarf uh the sci-fi tv show for anyone who hasn't heard of it the three of you um uh but they've recently released the uh, the most recent one which covers like series two and three and four or season three and four so i've been listening to to that one which is really good because it's read by chris barry who's in red dwarf
0: I've also been, uh, uh, you know what, we had? Uh, we, had we have had a, uh, a, a, one of the cast members of Red Dwarf on Twit.
4: First, yeah, Robert Llewellyn, I yeah, remember. First time
0: tight. I ever uh, guest hosted Twit, back when I was still working at CNET, had Robert on. We should get him back. I want to have him on Tech News today as well.
4: Uh, I'm sure would be delighted.
0: Dark Tower by Stephen King, I started reading that. That's another good one because there's six books in the series, so you can kick it off by, by getting the first two books, one credit each. Uh, just all kinds of great stuff to take advantage of. So check it out. Go to audible.com slash twit2. That's T-W-I-T and then the number two. And you get two free audiobooks to try out. Uh, and we thank them for their support. Did you hear about uh, President Obama visiting Silicon Valley, everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Who is? Yes. Have you, have you pored over the single picture Allowed out of his dinner with all the tech bigwigs.
2: Yes, <laughs> I was looking for the oversized uh, the oversized head of Steve bolmer and couldn't find it. No,
0: it well he's crazy. up. He's <laughs> up in Redmond. Uh, he these were these were all folks that are around Silicon Valley.
2: Uh, right, on, that's why he wasn't there.
0: On the president's right hand, Mark Zuckerberg. On the president's left hand, Steve Jobs. Let's overinterpret. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it, it was fascinating to look at this thing because you see Larry Ellison, you know, sitting across the table from Zuckerberg and Jobs and and Bartz. Carol Barts is there and just, you know, all the big names of CEOs of tech companies in the, in the valley uh, sitting around the table. To me, more interesting than the fact that the president was there, uh, was just seeing all these people at one table. I would love to be a fly on the wall to hear this conversation.
2: It's like a supergroup
0: they should put it's out an all-star cast yeah uh the only thing i've heard that actually came out of the meeting is that one man who wasn't there intel's paul Odellini, uh has been named to the president's jobs council and subsequent to that naming intel announced they are going to spend 5 billion dollars on a new 14 nanometer fab in arizona uh which they estimate will create 4000 new jobs in the coming year
3: yeah why wasn't intel invited you like you know I guess they kind of blew off Intel, and then the very next day, Obama shows up at their um, their factory, and he's like, "What's up, guys?
0: Look, Paul, I'm going to give you this big announcement. I'm going to have to leave you out of the dinner. I don't <laughs> we know. don't have a spot for you, sorry, Paul. It'll be, it'll just it'll just, just look too. Uh, it would be giving him too much. You can either have the dinner, or you can be named to the jobs council. Which one do you want?
2: So, so <laughs> what exactly were they talking about at that dinner?
0: Depends on who you ask. Uh, apparently, the theme of the conversation uh, was investment, wine. They were research, just, and development. Just talking about wine. I mean, who knows? They, they, they throw out a bunch of propaganda about what they talked about, all the stuff you'd expect innovation, investment, jobs creation, all of this stuff. And they probably did talk about that. Uh, what really went on? Have no idea. Hmm. This week was a lot of congressional testimony uh, regarding the technology world. The FBI uh, testified, General Counsel Valerie Caproni of the FBI, told a Congressional Committee that the Bureau once expanded Internet wiretapping authority, they don't want backdoors into encryption. They would like a backdoor into Skype, but it doesn't have to be a backdoor into encryption. They say that it is harder to tap phone calls over the Internet than it is to tap phone calls over the regular wires. And this is all with warrants and everything. They're not asking for warrantless wiretapping in this case. Uh, But they are saying, we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the 90s. We do not want to build in a backdoor and break encryption. I was very thankful for that statement, at least, uh, if nothing else.
2: Yeah, I mean, Skype, sure, I guess they could, you know, ask for a backdoor. But again, this is the same. Okay, it's not encryption but it's still a backdoor that could be used by other people. As long, as long as you put a backdoor somewhere, you know that it's a backdoor for more than just the people who requested it. So I'm still a little bit, but I, at the same time, I understand that the, you know, some organizations, official organizations are going to need a little bit more uh, than what we're used to. So I'm a little bit hesitant on this. I'm not sure I've made up my mind.
0: Anybody else uh, concerned with that one? Before There there were several other congressional committees meeting on different tech topics. The Republicans uh, voted uh, to defund... uh, Actually, House lawmakers approved an amendment... uh, Let's see. I want to make sure I get this right. Approved an amendment uh, to a wider spending bill that stated that no funds included in the bill could be used by the FCC to enforce their network neutrality regulations uh the republicans in 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 the house of representatives have said they will overturn the fcc's net neutrality regulations This is the first step they've taken in that direction it doesn't actually overturn them though
2: yeah i'm gonna have to go and be sick in the next room i'm sorry
3: I think they just need to take one issue at a time because they keep bundling all of these unrelated things together. It's like uh, ducks have to wear pants and we must respect net neutrality, like one bill. I think they just kind of like have to like tackle, you know, here's the net neutrality bill. Now let's decide on that. And then here's, you know, something unrelated with the FCC. Uh, They're just all over the place.
0: Yeah, I'm very much for ducks wearing pants yeah what if I'm not <laughs> for a net, for the network neutrality? They're guidelines, they're not regulations. they're like the Pirates code. Like the FCC is not issued I, I mean these things are not're they're, they're a they're in a weird place
2: and it, it, but the 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 house is gunning for the net neutrality guidelines. Anyway, I mean, they don't want them, right? Yeah, yeah they, don't, they don't want yeah. any kind of uh, regulation.
0: Also, Congress uh, wants to shut down rogue websites with the Combating Online Infringements and Counterfeits Act. Uh, this would allow what is already happening, actually, uh, immigration and the Department of Justice to seize domain names if a court has issued a warrant saying uh, yes, it looks like there is infringement, copyright infringement going on here. Seize the domain name. It actually doesn't take the site down. It just makes them lose their domain name temporarily. Uh, it also doesn't allow you to defend yourself. If somebody, if the department of justice brings this to the court and the court says, yes, you don't get a chance to go, wait a minute, you're misunderstanding what we're doing here.
2: Concerning. I would say trouble. Do you see that? Yeah. Did you see that? Uh, the, the, the I, th- I think that procedure took down what was it twenty six thousand sites? Eighty four thousand. Display- oh, okay. Sorry. Uh,
0: because yeah, there was a subdomain uh, that supported eighty four thousand. So when they took down the main domain, it took down all all of the domains that were uh, reliant on the subdomain as well.
2: N- not only that, but they also displayed the FBI, you know, uh, it, yeah, sign replicated on every single domain text. name, right? Yeah, a, a, an accompanying text which was stating that that site had been taken down because it was uh, taking part in child porn or something like that. Which you know, if your site has been taken down because of this, try and explain to your to your consumers that you're actually not a child molester. Or <laughs> I, it's it's just every single time these this kind. It's again overdoing it for invoking some reason and then going overboard with unintended consequences that always 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 happens and this seems to be another case of that
0: this week computers became better at game shows than humans is there anything left that isn't sacred to humanity watson beat the snot out of Ken Jennings and Brad Rudder, two previous Jeopardy champions. Ken Jennings holds the record for most consecutive Jeopardy wins. Brad Rudder holds the record for the most amount won on Jeopardy. And Watson just beat them like a bear beats a rabbit. <laughs> Final score was $44,131 for Watson, who doesn't even know how to spend money. Uh, $19,200 for Ken Jennings and $11,200 for Brad Rudder. Uh, and the total scores over the, the two days wasn't any better. Really, really a victory for uh, IBM in showing the natural language processing of their computing platform. And I guess Watson's going to go on to uh, work with Nuance Communications, a software company that specializes in speech recognition.
3: And a victory for Ken Jennings, to- who had a very funny uh, Final Jeopardy answer. I we, uh, welcome our new robot overlords
0: yes exactly excellent if if nothing else uh, Jennings got himself on the right side at the very last minute
4: (laughs) what I found amazing about this that I didn't find out until the other day is that Watson actually had a little robot finger you know right because originally
0: uh, originally they they the computer was able to buzz in directly but they said that's not fair so they, they created the finger right
4: yeah, a little robot finger, so he still had to physically press his robot Johnny Five hand onto a button in order to, you know, to, uh, to buzz in, which I, I, I want to see that. You know, I, that's more interesting so, to me than the screen with his kind of head thing on it.
2: The question the becomes, button. can he also do other things with the finger, like, you know, give <laughs> you the finger? Well, he had one finger, so on. you
0: wouldn't be able to tell if it was the middle finger or not.
2: It's his B finger. I think we would assume the it's the middle finger. <laughs>
0: uh, so I, I, you know, I thought this was really, really fun to watch. Although the, uh, the second episode, the first episode was rather close because there were a couple of, of missteps by the computer in the performance of the game. But then the second episode was just a rout uh, because, because of that I, reaction time
2: what i found really interesting was that when they started uh, ibm started taking on um, chess it took a really long time for them to actually prevail and and beat the champions in this instance it was first try there you go we wipe the floor with you thank you goodbye and that's it that that was sort of impressive i didn't think they were going to get it immediately
0: although it does think that uh, toronto is in the united states
2: Well, Well, isn't there a Toronto
4: in the United States? Isn't there a town called Toronto? Sure, yeah. No, maybe that's what it thought. Yeah, I think think there was. And he said that uh, I was reading an interview with one of the guys on the team, and apparently uh, Watson had a 14% certainty that Toronto was the right answer. And apparently the next answer, he had a 13% uh, certainty, and that one was the right answer. So they were both incredibly low, but the one that was wrong was only... Slightly, uh, one was only slightly more confident that it was right than the one that actually was right. So he was almost he it was almost there <laughs> even on the last question.
0: That's how they get you, Nate. You start to personalize them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a few more stories before we wrap this up. Uh, the Atlantic running a, uh, a story about the American Civil Liberties Union taking up the case of a Maryland man who allegedly was forced to give up his Facebook password during a job interview with the Maryland Department of Corrections. According to a letter, the organization requires that new applicants and those applying for recertification give the government their social media account, usernames, and personal passwords for use in background checks.
4: And what, what was I the guess, job it, that this guy was going for? Uh,
0: a correctional officer, I, I assume, which would so be something, you know, in a prison. Something legal. Yeah, something well, ar- in a, ar- in ar- a, like a prison guard.
4: I just wonder if this is similar to how... Um, I, I'm sure it's the same in the States, but in the UK, if you... Uh, if you're going for a job to work with children, then you have to submit to a, you know, a background check sure. to, to make sure that you're, you, know, you haven't got any offenses that, that uh, could infringe on your, your job or whatever. Uh, I, I wonder if this is just sort of something in the same vein as that. Um, I think it's a huge invasion of privacy, though.
0: Well, it's, there's and, one, it's one thing to say we're going to do a background check on you. Uh, you know, please give us this information. I've had that done before.
4: Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's the same. I mean, it's, but it's one, Another thing worked, to say, as
0: part of this background check, we would like your login and password. Yeah, that's yeah. That, that crosses a line for me because it's not just we're going to check your background. It's we actually want access to your account.
2: Well, mm. it depends how deep they go with the original background check. Do they do things like you know check your your tax uh, reports and your financials? Do they do your your mail, for example? Do they do they check your mail for a certain period no, of time? No, they don't. do look at your for the mail. Correct-
0: they can't. That's a really for- that's a good really really good example, Patrick. Uh, on on a background check uh, for the County of Alameda, which is the only one I have uh, experience with, in, in the state of California, uh, they would. Interview friends and family. Uh, they would ask for your uh, your bank account number, uh, and they they wouldn't ask for any special access to your bank account. Just just the number, uh, and they would ask for other information like social security number. But they wouldn't they wouldn't a- access your mail. They wouldn't open. They wouldn't ask well, to open all of your mail. And that well, to me is is what see, this is there like. There you go.
2: They they ask your friends and family, and they don't access your mail. So they asked for. Facebook and not Gmail. No, no, no.
1: They were just going to ask a few questions. The
0: analog would be who are your friends on Facebook? Uh, We would like to friend (laughs) them and and send them direct messages and ask them about you. Not, we want to log into your account. That's more than is necessary.
2: I think. Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, I agree. I'm just I'm just trying to make the point that um, on you know the initial reaction is, oh my God, that's crazy. But maybe there are a few circumstances. Maybe maybe not this one because a correctional facility officer might not warrant this. But you know, in the case of I don't know, you have to work with uh, national security or you know the CIA, whatever. Maybe in these cases, it's warranted. That one might be a little bit extreme. My problem
0: with that is that. Giving information for a background check is one thing. Giving access to an account gives you the ability to do all kinds of things with my identity.
2: That yeah, but how do you get to that information if you, if you don't have the, you know... Re- I uh, mean, really, is there
0: no way to get that information otherwise? Some of it's public. I don't think there is. Some of it's public, yeah, but, but most of it is replicated elsewhere.
2: Well, well, unless they, what, they want, want to know want what, to what private, private mes-
0: messages. But if they want to know what private message is, that's like reading mail. Yeah. They don't get to do that. They don't get to go, go look at your email.
2: I say we put Tom Merritt in charge. He seems to know what he's
0: doing. <laughs> Stop putting me in charge. <laughs> I'm no good in charge. I'm only good filling in.
2: No, I, <laughs> I actually agree with... Uh, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's definitely, you know, private information and it should not be given away carelessly. And that uh, seems like it wasn't warranted. If it can ever be warranted, this one doesn't look like it was.
0: Ken from Chicago says, wait, you can keep stuff private on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> I think all, all the Department of Corrections of Maryland has to do is become an advertiser on Facebook. they would get access to everything. Uh, <laughs> finally, Google is working on a major overhaul of the Chrome browser that would get rid of the
2: URL bar. Oh, hmm. my God. No, they would not do that. Well,
0: what they would do is hide it. So it would only show up when you like, hover over a tab keeps
2: things clean. I don't know if I like this. Well, it, it takes an awful lot of space. Uh, you know, it's a whole additional line that, that you don't really use all that much. I mean, you don't, certainly don't need all that space. Uh, they, they are the people who make you argue for the number of pixels you want to put in a line if you're designing something on their website. So... I don't know. I'm I
3: do that. I love the concept of the of the one bar doing the search and address bar in one, like they do in Chrome. I think it's you know I can't use any other browser on
4: the desktop just because of that mm-hmm. single feature. Yeah, I mean, used to I used, to, like used to be able to do that URL in Coming down like like how you can do that with the you know with the dock on, on OS 10. You, know, you put your cursor to the bottom of the screen and up comes your dock. I like the idea of that free URL bar in Chrome, as long as it was just an option and not by default. People are too used now to, to seeing that URL bar would scare everybody. Scare me. <laughs> well, it's just,
0: that it's, just, oh it's just that it goes away when you're not using it. So it cleans up the interface. But you know what? I like to see what URL I'm at. A lot of times that's telling of things. There are things in that URL. I'm, I'm probably unusual in that way. Most people don't pay any attention to it. But, I you know. No,
4: it, it's, it's a good point. And, and, you know, with things like making the... HTTPS, a different color, so you know you're in a, a secure environment as opposed to an unsecure environment or something like that. That kind of stuff is really important, and, and particularly with Firefox and IE9 and, and Chrome now, that has kind of become part of your sort of uh, at-a-glance security check, or at least it has been for me. Um, so I guess you would have to add something in order to deliver that same uh,
2: sense of security. Yeah, it'll so be a Chrome
0: see. extension that gives you back your URL bar. <laughs>
2: Probably. <laughs> No, but I mean, what, what you're getting at uh, beyond the, the, the HTTPS, which is obviously very important, you're right, Tom, the, the fact that you can look at your address and make sure that you're on the right site is definitely something that I would miss if I couldn't do it. And, and I, you know, if you get a phishing email some, that somehow you click the link to, uh, then you might get on the wrong site thinking you're on the right one.
1: Hmm. The unfortunate part of that,
3: this. which is why we have so many phishing scams, is that the average person doesn't know what to look for in the URL bar. They just click yeah. a shortened link and they get to a page that looks like their banking website and they type in some information. I think there's room to to do that better visually than the old way that we've figured out to just look at the address and say, oh, well, is this right? Oh, no, it's PayPal dot, you know, SE dot Rx slash whatever.
0: Right. <laughs> And we should be clear, to, if, if some people are misunderstanding this, you would still be able to type in URLs. The URL bar would drop down when you go and highlight a tab, and you'd be able to type stuff in. It's not, it's not as bad as it might sound. <laughs> you could only click on links. That's not, that's not <laughs> the way it's going to work. All right. That, I think that about does us for us. Uh, we are going to be at South by Southwest uh, starting in March uh, on Friday. We arrive, and then we start our live coverage on that Saturday. I believe it's March 12th. I I should have had this uh, page already open, but, yeah, that's right. Saturday, March 12th, uh, 1 p.m., the Tech Guy, live from Austin with Leo Laporte, Uh, Then our coverage starts at 4 p.m. on live.twit.tv. We'll be walking around Austin, walking around the convention center, visiting parties, very similar to what Leo did last year at South by Southwest. Starting on Sunday, March 13th, we're having a big meetup at Momos, momosclub.com. So if you're in Austin, you don't have to be part of South by Southwest to attend. Uh, You can show up at Momos starting as early as 1 p.m. Leo will be doing the tech guy. I'll be doing tech news today from Momos at 4 o'clock. Uh, then this week in tech at 5 o'clock, and our meetup starts gen- immediately after that uh, at 7 p.m. Then we're off to more South by Southwest coverage uh, at various parties around there at 9 p.m. Sunday, March 13th. Also, Sarah and Leo will be recording an iPad today on Saturday. That won't be streamed live, but it, it will be put into the feed afterwards. Uh, so if you're, if you're interested in what's going on at South by Southwest, watch live.tv during that time. Or if you're in Austin and you'd like to come by and say hi, Sunday, March 13th at Momos. Are any of you all going to be in uh, Austin for South by Southwest? I wish. I will
3: see you there. Excellent.
0: Have they already yes. booked you on, uh, on a show yet?
3: Uh, I don't think so. Want to
0: be on TNT? Done. Good. That
3: was easy. All right. Sweet.
0: <laughs> uh, Nate uh, I, and uh, Patrick, I know it's far for you guys. I wish you guys could make it. That'd be great to see you there
4: yeah i got um i got, a, I got a, an invite last year a ticket to go and um couldn't get there so i should have been there my name was on a list but i wasn't there to tell them that was my name it's a very sad story everyone should be very upset it's a tearjerker really <laughs> yeah there's this little man with his violin waiting for me somewhere no i'd love to go it sounds like a blast and i know the parties are great and the, the networking there's fantastic but i would love to get over some time but this year it is not to be i'll be at home with my no internet. I well, expect. you can you
0: can watch live
4: It'll be like you're there.
0: <laughs> Just get yourself a bottle of um, of light American beer and then <laughs> cozy on up to the screen and stay up really late,
4: like you are I right do that now every night. That's practically what I'm doing here. I know. <laughs> Only it's not beer; it's tea.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, Nate, uh, thank you so much for for being on the show again. Uh, wired.co.uk is your provenance. Let people know what's uh, what's going on there before we say goodbye.
4: Uh, yeah, well, I, I guess the, the biggest thing that's going on there at the moment is that we now have a podcast, uh, which is a little podcast tab. You can click on that, and we do that once a week and get some great interviews and things in there. Um, and um, I'm also on Twitter, of course, um, at Nate Langson, N-A-T-E-L-A-N-X-O-N. Uh, give us a follow, and all my stuff can be found through that.
0: Patrick Beja. Uh, you've got a, a French language tech podcast, uh, as well as several English podcast English language podcasts. I don't I don't mean to insult you. Uh, t- tell folks about what you're doing online. <laughs>
2: Um, Well, you can find uh, me on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I'm not Patrick, which is very confusing. And for the shows, I guess you could go to, uh, if you like the French language, you can go to nowatch.fm where you can find a number of French language shows. And the other ones just, you know, through Twitter and Facebook, you'll find them. Mark
0: Million of CNN, thank you for being with us as well. Uh, Thank you. uh, It's it's been fun. You have something new or interesting that you're working on? Um, Yeah,
3: I have a story that's coming out that I've been working on for a little while on what Apple is doing with iTunes and its music, so that should be out tomorrow. CNN.com slash tech.
0: There you go. Check it out. Thanks, everybody, uh, for watching and listening. Uh, This is my last week filling in on Twit for Leo. He will be back in the chair on our live feed uh, for MacBreak Weekly Tuesday morning. We're very happy uh, to see him back, and, of course, he'll be back hosting Twit next week. With an all-star cast, I hear. Check it out at live.twit.tv or twit.tv slash twit. That's it for me, folks. There's a can with a twit in it, and
1: we're done. I
2: I should try the English accent, but I I really can't. I'm going to sound incredibly um, weird. Can you do an American I can do an American accent. No, you see, I can't.
0: <laughs> Actually, wasn't that bad.
2: Breaking out the redneck. Yeah. yeah.
0: It was a good choice going Southern. Uh, it hides a lot of imperfections. Actually,
2: uh, you know, we, we, in France, we never speak like that. It's just to give us a little je ne sais quoi for you uh, uh, Philistine uh, Americans. Two the twist. the twins.